This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. The TSM NCA prep program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind their professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 12 of our National Committee on Accreditation Journeys series. My 12th guest is Angela Sorti. Angela is the Director of Professional Recruiting at national law firm Borden Ladner Gervais in Toronto. She is also a certified executive coach, a member of the International Coaching Federation, and a member of the Law Society of Ontario. In her current role, she is responsible for all aspects of the summer student and articling program, including student recruitment and student professional development. Angela is also responsible for coaching junior associates at the firm. Hi, Angela. Hi, Anton. Hi, yeah. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, so I've been interviewing internationally trained lawyers for about a month and a bit now, and they've all had really amazing and really interesting stories, particularly their journeys and what, what brought them to Canada. And I think there's been a lot of opportunity for others to learn from those journeys. Um, and so now I've sort of, now that the podcast has started to gain some popularity, I've started to think about what people might these internationally trained lawyers really benefit from hearing from or listening to and, and learning from. So I feel really lucky, Angela, that you agreed to be on the podcast today. And for those who don't know, I would be really, really grateful if you could just introduce yourself, sort of, you know, your role, um, what you do, and uh, where you're from. Sure. Thank, thanks, Anton. Um, so I am the Director of Professional Recruitment at uh, BLG uh, in their Toronto office. I focus on um, recruiting, recruiting talent, uh, especially at the student level. Mm-hmm. So this is <laughs> hopefully people can see exactly why they, it might be really useful to get some insights from you. I know we had a telephone conversation not too long ago, Angela, and I was like, oh, my God, I wish I could record this because there was a lot of really, <laughs> really, really interesting um, little bits of information. So basically, you do... Um, a lot of the recruiting of students for articling positions, summer positions, both one or the other, is that right? Or- yeah, so every year uh, BLG participates in both a 1L uh, student recruitment process, mm-hmm. which is when we look at students who have uh, who are in their first year of law school and looking for 
a, a summer position uh, at a law firm, and we participate um, in the 2L recruitment process, which in under normal uh, circumstances is a fall recruit. Mm -hmm. And we look at students who uh, are have completed their first year of law school and looking to summer in between their second and third year of law school. Um, and what happens typically is that those students who summer with us in their uh, following their second year of law school will return to the firm to article mm -hmm. once uh, they've completed law school. I'm sure in some instances you see students from from Wenel all the way through to all the way high. through yeah yeah and occasionally there you know if we wanted to augment our class um we would also participate in the articling recruit which usually happens in the summer mm -hmm. but i just think it would be good if there are internationally trained lawyers which i'm sure there are listening to this podcast 1l refers to the first year of law school in canada 2l is the second year of law school and then yeah so it's just that's what that's what they call it right that's right. Yeah. Normally, uh, we always, uh, you know, at least for the past uh, number of years, have participated in the 1L recruit and the 2L recruit. Um, it's very rare that we participate in the articling recruit. Uh, usually, we hire, um, you know, a, a good number of, of students in our summer class, and mm -hmm. they return for articling, and there's no, not too much of a need to go back right. uh, to find articling students. That makes sense. And so, um, you know, like you do, I would say, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't presume to know exactly, but I would say maybe 99.99% of your recruiting is done within domestic Canadian law schools, correct? That's correct. Okay. So people are listening to this and saying, well, why, why is this useful for me? Well, here's why. This is a really, really great opportunity, I think, to learn from you, Angela, because um, people, I mean, you, you, over, you look at CVs, you look at profiles, you interview, and I'm really curious, and I'm sure everybody else will be really curious to learn what the do's and don'ts are for CV composition, cover letters, interview style, and skills. Just like, you know, the whole process. So maybe we can start with, with what you, well, that's an interesting way to start, I guess. The, what is a really good Canadian legal CV look like? Okay, so when we are evaluating our candidates, mm -hmm. um, obviously the, the first thing that you get is the application package. And so it really is the most important piece of your the important uh, most important piece of your application uh the most uh the thing that reflects your candidacy and the most your experience the most i mean and so uh, you, we ca you cannot underestimate how important it is to prepare that package um you know and and just make it sort of the best reflection of who of who you are and so what we typically look for uh, in law is a one-page cover letter, a two-page resume, and uh, we ask that transcripts uh, and any relevant uh, and meaningful reference letters are also enclosed. For NCA students, what's quite helpful 
uh, often is um, an explanation of what grades mean because mm -hmm. Uh, different universities uh, around the world uh, grade different, use different um, measures, indicators, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's always helpful to have an explanation of how someone's transcripts should be read with a Canadian lens, mm -hmm. through a Canadian yeah. lens. I think that's a really important point you raise um, because I think there's some perception out there that you guys and I say you guys broadly, but, you know, Canadian yeah. law firms and Canadian recruiters know this stuff already. Like it's universal common knowledge, but it really isn't. Right. So including um, that kind of grade translation and what it means to a Canadian recruiter, it can only help you. Right. It, it really it can only help you. Uh, and I think that uh, I think it, it, it helps you and uh if you don't include it, it becomes very difficult for a recruiter to understand what a grade or a mark or a term, what it means. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think for, for internationally trained lawyers, particularly, you don't want to give a recruiter a reason really to put your resume off to the side or your package off to the side. And it could be something as simple as that. Like if they're looking at something in the UK, let's say, and somebody scores a 2-1, in contracts, um, the recruiter may say, I don't know what the heck that is. What is the two on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, exactly. Is that, is that good or bad? And then they just say, well, you know, I have like 900 other apps here. So let's move on, you know, like. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Um, and, and the other thing I always find quite helpful. So actually, let's just go back. So we've got mm -hmm. our cover letter. Um, which really becomes your writing sample and uh, a really uh, important piece of um, letting us know who you are. What is your story? I mean, what we do is we approach every application um, qu quite holistically, Anton. So there's not a sort of a sim single piece of that package that is more important than the than another. It's really looked at holistically. And yes, your transcripts um, are an important part of that. And so we do want to see strong academic performance, mm -hmm. but that's only one piece of the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. I also want to see a really great uh, engaging cover letter where, you know, and it's an opportunity for a student to tell us who you are, what is your journey, uh, what has been your journey, why are you here now in Toronto mm -hmm. uh, looking for a, a summer or articling position uh, at a firm in, in Toronto, what kind of experience are you bringing to the table? What, why are you different than the, the next applicant? Um, and so cover letters are extremely important in demonstrating, of, of course, you know, how you communicate, how you communicate in writing, um, and also really begins to um, highlight what your strengths are uh, and what, those ex what your experiences are. And then we move to the CV portion, the resume portion, which here is, is again, as I mentioned, a two-page um, CV where you're going to highlight your uh, academic experience, your professional experience, your extracurricular community involvement, skills and interests, um, and those sorts of things. And again, everything um, in that you know, you, what you want to include is everything that is relevant and that just, you know, strength, strengthens your package. 
then we move on, as I mentioned, to the transcripts. And I said, you know, relevant reference letters. Um, it's, it's quite helpful when students include personalized and relevant reference letters. Uh, you know, and what we often say is, please don't, don't give us sort of a generic um, reference letter that some employer, some professor wrote for you mm-hmm. uh, that actually doesn't, um, you know, identify you or, or make you quote unquote different, you know, tell me something. Um, send, give me a reference letter that actually highlights something that you specifically did, a strength you specifically demonstrated, uh, that it's personalized, because mm-hmm. um, I think that those are can be quite uh, influential in the process. Yeah, no, it sounds like that package is really your opportunity to show precisely who you are without being there. You know, you want it to be, you want yourself to basically jump off the pages, right? So you so that the recruiter can have a really accurate and hopefully positive picture of who you are just by reading about you. And it's interesting you say um, that the cover letter is in some ways twofold. Like in, in one way, it's an opportunity, obviously, for a candidate to explain who they are and why they're right for a position. Um, but also it's a, a sample of their writing capabilities, yes. right? And so what, like, um, very briefly, um, what are some of the things to avoid when you're composing a cover letter? Just really basic sort of, like, e- even in the introductions of, of themselves and, or what, what kind of language should they try to avoid using? So I think that um, first and foremost, there can be no silly mistakes. Mm-hmm. So those letters, the whole package needs to be edited and proofread and edited and proofread again. Um, there is nothing, you know, more disappointing to see a strong candidate submit a package or a cover letter that has silly mistakes in it. Right. Um, and so my suggestion is always to have someone proofread it and, you know, be really aggressive in their proofreading so that you submit a letter that. Uh, is is free from any sorts of of silly silly mistakes. You also you want to always make sure that the person who you're addressing in the letter is the person you should be addressing at the correct firm. Right, of course. So, I mean, I it sounds it sounds silly, Anton, but every year recruiters will get letters addressed to you know the wrong person at a different firm, et cetera, et cetera. And that's there's you know. You you just don't want to be eliminated because you you weren't careful in terms mm-hmm. of proofreading, um, and it should just be a very cleanly written, straightforward um, letter to the recruiter. Uh, you know that introduces the candidate, uh, introduces that their journey, explains sort of their journey, their narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, also, perhaps is there any connection to the firm? that you're applying to, like that would, it, usually you'll see candidates make a mention that they attended an open house or a, a meet and greet or had a mm-hmm. coffee with a lawyer at the firm. And that's a nice place to sort of uh, highlight the, the, the connection you have to the firm. It demonstrates interest in the firm that you sort of got above and beyond when it comes to uh, exploring the, the firm and investigating what the opportunities at the firm would look like, what the program looks like. Mm-hmm. So this is all the stuff that you would include in the cover letter. 
you know, I always say to candidates, you don't want it to be too jam-packed. You do want white space on that cover letter. And it shouldn't be sort of a regurgitation of everything in your CV. Your right. cover letter should be highlighting things um, from your CV and offering a little bit of insight um, into you that I wouldn't be able to pull immediately from reviewing right. your CV. Interesting. I think those are all, I hope everybody's just taking notes, you know, like, like <laughs> listening to what you have to say. Like yeah. I, even I, you know, I'm taking notes here too. They're really, really good. So let's say um, in terms of the journey of the, the potential, you know, the, the person that you may hire. So let's say you review the package and you're satisfied with the package. You're interested and you want to learn more about the candidate. At that point, you invite them to interview. So right now, um, as you look, really looking forward to participating in for the second year in a row is the NCA OCI day. Um, and that is what I would be um, reviewing packages towards. So I'd be looking for candidates that I would interview on that day. Right. And, and so that's, I think it's a good opportunity then to kind of get into how, what makes a good interview? Like, okay, we've discussed sort of what makes, what makes a good cover letter, a good package, what a resume should consist of or CV. Um, but now how about that interview? <laughs> what do you have, do you have tips for that? So my tips are always to take advantage of every opportunity you can to practice mm. your interviews participate in mock interviews, you know, even if um, you, even if it means printing off interview questions and getting a family member or a friend or a colleague to run through questions with you, you know, practice, practice, practice. You don't want to be um, overly, you know, rehearsed. We don't, I don't want to see scripts, you, mm. you know, that someone's practiced so much that the answers are no longer authentic, but you want to be able um, to be comfortable asking, answering questions. You want to be ready for questions when they come and sort of have like, you know, a bunch of options in your back pocket of things you can talk about, of mm. stories and examples, um, that you can share with the interviewer. So, uh, you know, I think great interviews start with uh, folks that present practice, like practiced in the sense that, you know, they're comfortable in an interview scenario, um, that they're, they're present in the interview mm -hmm. and ready to talk about everything that they've mentioned um, in their, their CVs. So, you know, that everything that you've provided to the law firm or to the recruiter is fair game at an interview. And so you should be able to speak to everything on your application, which means that everything must be, you know, accurate mm -hmm. and um, you should be able to speak to anything. So I'll tell you sometimes, um, you know, a pitfall might be that you've mentioned that you wrote a paper in your undergrad and you, you mentioned the paper and you take for granted that the interview interviewer might ask you about that paper. Right. Be ready to speak about even that paper. If you mention it, you don't know what is going to sort of um, pique my interest and where I might want to take the interview. So be mm. ready to speak to everything on that paper. Um, again, be quite present 
uh, in the moment of that interview, eye contact, um, you know, very basic things, sort of eye contact, uh, sitting up straight, uh, presenting as an engaged person, as an enthusiastic person. Uh, and I think all those things um, that the, the candidate will find themselves getting better mm. at presenting in those ways if you've practiced. Right. Yes, of course. And it makes sense. You want the interviewee to be um, knowledgeable, at least about their, their own profile and bio that they've submitted, but also confident and present and able to almost have, you know, sort of what, what I guess you'd call like a sophisticated conversation and back and forth rather than question ask, question answer. Kind of. Exactly. It should really be a, a conversation. And when I say that, um, I don't mean to say that it has to be a conversation about things that I and the interviewee have in common or mm. focused on sort of subjective things, but it should flow like a conversation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus and question, as you said, question, answer, question, answer. And I, you know, I do, I do want to mention Anton and I sure. think it's fair to say that folks should really be thinking about practicing online, mm. practicing virtual interviews, because we are moving into a virtual recruitment process this right. year mm -hmm. um, or, or in this, in, I guess in February um, and March of next year. And, interviewing virtually might feel different uh, for some folks. And so I think it's important to get on those Zoom calls and practice virtual interviewing the way you would have practiced in an in-person interview. Right. Yeah. I know I have uh, my, my fiance, um, she teaches at the University of Toronto and they're doing everything online now too. And it's right. just, it's just so that you have such a different dynamic. Like we were saying, you know, you can Perhaps you can have a more comfortable conversation. It, maybe it comes easier if you're in person and you can read the body language instantaneously. But I think you're right. You have to develop and build skills to be able to do that virtually through a, through a webcam. A hundred percent. So I would, I would really encourage folks to, again, do, do the virtual mock interviews. Um, you know, little tidbits that I've sort of learned uh, over the past few months is sometimes it's easier to turn off your camera. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you don't see yourself in yeah. the corner of the screen and it's less distracting. Figure out where you need to look to be almost making eye contact with the interviewers um, and, you know, how close you should be sitting to that screen. What sort of how, how will you present the best? Um, and that will all come through practice. Yeah, of course. You know, you like even things like your computer chair, be comfortable sitting in it, sit exactly. up straight. Don't, don't kind of slouch and have your, you know, your suit jacket. If you're a guy or even a woman that kind of slump forward <laughs> and look a bit wrinkled, it, things like it, that. Exactly. You don't want your face cut off, you know, because you've sort of sat too far to the left or too mm. far to the right. Um, you want to think about what your background looks like. You want yeah. it to be, you know, quite, a, you want it to be innocuous. And, you know, do you want to have a, um, a, a background that you just rely upon every time you're interviewing? Mm -hmm. Where are you going to be in your house? Um, can you block any sort of outside noise or other distractions? Um, these are all things that you want to think about in advance of any interview situation. Sure. Yeah. I just, as you were talking there, I was just imagining 
somebody sitting with a Justin Bieber uh, poster behind them and somebody doing the dishes in the background, that would be an example of something that's not great. Right. <laughs> and, and also, Anton, um, everyone's home setup is different and everyone's mm-hmm. um, at-home situation obligations are different. And so thinking about what sort of your background could be that you know, would just be something simple and plain and not distracting for the interviewer. Um, And so you do want to think about that in advance. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. So that those are really great tips, I think. Um, And hopefully people have taken something from that so that they can, you know, begin practicing with a family member and start thinking about doing it over a zoom with a friend, you know, and, and getting comfortable with with your posture and things in front of the camera. I think that's great. Um, I was wondering, just from your experience, and you had mentioned the NCA OCRIs that are relatively new. I mean, it's a great initiative. Um, I mean, you've had a lot of experience recruiting students and lawyers. Um, Are there any major differences between the NCA candidates and the domestic candidates? And if there are, what do you think an internationally trained lawyer might be able to do in order to boost their chances in, in getting the job? I think that, is there any diff- main differences? You know, I'm going to say um, when I'm looking at the, di- the main difference would lie between, would, I think you would find between domestic students who have chosen to go abroad for mm-hmm. their um, law school training versus uh, internationally trained lawyers who have gone to school and practiced abroad, whether um, in private practice or in an in-house role mm-hmm. um, internationally, and now are are here in Toronto uh, looking for looking for employment. So you're going to find some differences there, right. because what you're you know on one hand, one hand you have domestic students who've just gone, let's say to UK or to Australia uh, for law school, and then they come back and they're not bringing any practice experience with them, mm-hmm. whereas uh, with, you know, international, some internationally trained lawyers, they, they come with, you know, years of, of practice experience. Um, and so that would be sort of one of the differences that a lot of the students we interviewed domestically are mm. students. Yeah. And there, there are some, of course, mature students and folks coming with other um, experiences, other professional backgrounds who have chosen to go to law school. And so there's always a small group of those students, right. but I would say the majority of students that we interviewed domestically have gone sort of like undergrad, law school, and yeah. now are looking for summer, um, summer work experience, or summer work employment. And uh, whereas the internationally trained lawyers come with, with practice experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, I spoke with, um, with one internationally trained lawyer who's from Bangladesh, and he, um, he came to Canada just this year, like right when COVID started. But he had been practicing in Bangladesh for over 10 years and had started his own law firm and, you know, really built up a practice. And so his client networks are, are vast. And so he would be an interesting, you know, a unique candidate that, you, you know, you'd almost want to learn a little bit more about and say, because, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's also encouraging, I guess, to know that the firm would be taking on theoretically somebody who's got this vast experience internationally, because, you know, I think the world is becoming smaller with technology and um, borders are becoming 
thinner. So there's a lot more cross border work and things like that. So who knows, you know, what, what opportunities might arise from, from individuals or candidates like that. Right. And the key for those candidates is to communicate their experiences in a way where um, you really demonstrate how transferable mm-hmm. that experience is. Right. Yeah. Just so, yeah, that's a good point because they, you don't want your experience in, you know, using the, the Bangladesh um, example to be perceived as a foreign experience. You want it to be perceived as an experience that you can utilize and practice wherever, right? In Canada. Right. At, at least to get that interview, right? Mm-hmm. So you just want to be careful about how nuanced your language is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and that will come with having your CV, you know, reviewed and proofread mm-hmm. um, and where you can sort of say, these are the things that I did. These are the clients I worked with in my practice in such a way that it's easy for a recruiter to see how that would be, you know, applicable here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that makes sense. And so um, I've, I've, this information has been great, Angela. I really appreciate it. I think I might want to close just on getting your sense of how you see the future of recruitment of, of candidates in law um, in Canada specifically. Like, is, is the future going to be linear? Or do you think, do you perceive that there may be some changes in how law firms recruit? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that, you know, as a starting point, we want to recruit great talent. We want to recruit uh, strong students, smart students, students that bring diverse and interesting experiences to the table. Um, and I think that the trend that I sort of see, and it's been sort of years in the making now, um, you know, is to really foster a diverse and inclusive recruitment process where there's room for um, a lot of, uh, where there's room for different candidates to, uh, to, make, it, to make an impression um, and room for people to sort of um, find those opportunities for themselves uh, at the different firms and uh, institutions that hire, that hire lawyers. Uh, I think that I mean, just given that we have an OCI day for MCA students, I think mm-hmm. is telling you something about uh, where recruitment is going uh, and how sort of some of those boundaries or sort of barriers are, are being broken down for folks. I mean, I've been working with MCA students and lawyers uh, for many, many years. And, and Anton, I think I shared this with you even when we mm-hmm. spoke of several weeks ago, how excited I was to see that we we're finally getting an MCA day. Um, because it's just an opportunity for people to um, get in the door, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and have their CVs looked at and be competitive with the rest of the applications that we get from our from law schools across the country. I don't I don't think it's going to be linear. I think it's going to be ever changing. I think, you know, our platform is going to be all virtual this mm-hmm. year, which is mm-hmm. just showing you. Um, how how we, we've yes it's been sort of as a result of of, of COVID that we've um, had to go to a fully virtual interview process but perhaps the future is going to be more of a hybrid like mm-hmm. we've always done um, interviews with some or virtual interviews with some schools across the country but maybe we're going to see more of a hybrid um, interview process uh, into the future. Mm. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's true. I think co- the world was kind of headed in this digital 
age. We didn't know exactly what it would look like or when it would come, but we could feel it, you know, with yeah. the phones are getting better and the video quality is getting better, but then COVID hits. And then all of a sudden industry needs to slam on the brakes and rethink how we, you know, conduct daily business. Like, I mean, I, I live in, you know, we're in Toronto and I look at those big TV towers and things like that. And I'm like, how many of those businesses will have full offices? Oh, geez. Here, you know? I know. Anton, I was driving on the 401 yesterday at about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And I, you know, lots of empty parking lots mm-hmm. next to these office buildings. And you're, you don't know, we don't know what the future um, is going to hold. But, but I do think that, uh, you know, accessibility is important and that you know one very positive thing that comes out of a virtual uh recruitment process is accessibility for folks mm-hmm. this time this um right now dealing with the reality of of the pandemic yeah no exactly so i i think that that's probably a good way to end it angela and what i'm going to do um, I, I i do want to add one sure, thing though if that's okay do. anton because i of think course. that um, you know, I really want to encourage folks listening to this podcast and uh, candidates who are interested in going through the NCA uh, OCI process to really try to reach out um, and build a network uh, mm-hmm. of folks that you can rely on for advice and insight. I think that the the advice you can get from um, colleagues who have already gone through the process uh, is so is so good mm-hmm. um, and, and will be really valuable for those just entering the process really to get the real life do's and don'ts mm-hmm. uh, and real candid uh, insight into what the process looks like and how you can make yourself uh, a strong and competitive candidate. I think that one of the things um, that I've noticed through the years, Anton, is the hesitation mm-hmm. when it comes to networking. Right. Just because, you know, the way we network in different in different countries and different cultures can be quite different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that is a piece that people do need to spend some time on is, you know, sort of reaching out and connecting with folks who have gone through the process. Um, Maybe it's it's alum, a fellow alum, maybe it's um, lawyers you meet at different events, Mm -hmm. but just really to get out there. And, and meet people to learn about the process and get those do's and don'ts and those tips. I think that it can be such an asset uh, for these students. So I really did want to put a plug in yeah. for, for network, networking and outreach Amazing. Um, and participating in events. So when you get, you know, invitations to different uh, speaking events, speaking engagements, um, panel discussions, you know, things that um, schools are putting on, anything like that to to take, you know, take up those opportunities to get out there into the community. Yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up, Angela. And it's actually become, I guess, I always thought that networking was really important. And I was surprised at how many NCA students are told, just pass your exams and you'll be a lawyer. And it's just not the, not the case, you know, it's, it, there's a whole other journey involved in getting uh, gainful employment here in Canada as a lawyer. So it's become a little bit of an underlying theme of these podcasts is that everybody who's sort of been through it, who I've spoken to, has really highlighted what you just brought up, which is make sure that you network, make sure, you know, use LinkedIn as your best friend, 
connect with people just because we're virtual. It doesn't mean that you can't connect. Um, and so I think it's really, it's really good that you brought that up. And, and I hope that people do listen. I mean, there are opportunities, there are organizations out there like, you know, NCA Network, who's been instrumental in helping with the OCI days for NCAs. Um, Global Lawyers of Canada are another really great um, national uh, organization. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's uh, really, really important. I agree. Yeah, and not to sort of be discouraged if someone doesn't call you back or you don't get an email back to, mm -hmm. you know, move on to the next sort of next person. Mm -hmm. um, because there were there are people out there who are willing to sort of to coach and support um, others. Yeah, well, I mean, if people need more proof of that, just listen to the podcast that I've done. You know, I'm this I'm a Canadian guy who went abroad to the UK for law and I've come back and here I am plotting away in education yeah. and things like that. And there are so many really accomplished lawyers and, and people who are going through the process who just can't wait to get out there and help people. And, you know, that's why they're talking to me. Yeah. And break down some of some barriers for, mm -hmm. for folks, um, you know, sort of demystifying the whole, the whole idea, the whole route of accreditation and the journey that, that internationally trained lawyers need to take instead of keeping it behind the curtains and, you know, a exactly. Yeah. And Anton, what I'm super excited about is that, you know, with each passing year, um, you know, several firms participated in the NCI, uh, NCA rather OCI day last year. I suspect we're going to see uh, a larger number of firms participate this year, which means that there will be candidates that secure summer. Uh, summer employment at our firms. Mm -hmm. And I think that then will encourage people to apply and to become, um, you know, to, to participate in the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you sort of see people being successful, it encourages and motivates others that sure. there, are, there is opportunity out there and, and not to be uh, too discouraged. Exactly. And I think what I'd like to do is probably post a link to the OCI information, the NCA OCI information that's online in this uh, podcast bio, just so that people, because there will be people listening, Angela, who have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, it is really useful, if not just to get yourself out there and to just throw yourself in the deep end of Canadian legal recruitment and, and see, you know, learn from it. And if you don't, if you're unsuccessful in the first instance, then don't be discouraged. Um, learn from it and, and, yeah. yeah, and also I think it's important to add that the OCI day is just, it's sort of just a piece of the opportunity pie mm -hmm. yeah, that exactly. exists, yeah. right? That it's one way um, to seek this sort of employment, but there's lots of opportunity out there in different institutions and organizations. Uh, and that we talk about a linear journey. Um, I think that, and I've always said to candidates, that we have to resist that idea that things have to be linear, mm. that everyone's journey is different. Um, but I truly believe that there is many ways to get um, to your goal mm -hmm. and to achieve your goals and not to be discouraged if one way uh, doesn't necessarily pan out immediately, that there are other ways to achieve your, to achieve your goals and not to be, not to be discouraged. Amazing. Well, Angela, on that note, that's, <laughs> That's a, it's a really positive, positive way to end the conversation. I, I'm, as, as we had the conversation, as you were talking, I was, you know, I, I think it's really useful and so valuable for people to, 
hear from somebody who's, you know, a, a director of talent recruitment at, you know, at a major law firm and hear from, from you and gain, get some of your insights, tips, and, and how to, to present yourself and how to, you know, give yourself the best opportunity to, to get a job. Thank you. I'm super excited to review the NC applications I'll receive for the incoming, uh, the upcoming process. I've met some excellent, super impressive candidates over the years, and I'm looking forward to, to meeting uh, more. So thank you for this uh, opportunity, Anton. It's been great. Amazing. Thank you, Angela. And that just about does it for A Shot of Life, episode 12. Again, thank you to Angela for taking time out to speak with with me and I guess us <laughs> as a group. Um, I think this episode was really needed. I know that there have been lots of questions online through social media and even those connecting with me via email. Um, questions about, you know, when I raise the issue that you need to consider making sure that your CV and your cover letter is you know, based on the what the Canadian legal marketplace is looking for, people ask, what does that mean? Well, hopefully Angela was able to answer your questions there, um, particularly about what should you include in an application package and um, how important it is for that application package to be as perfect as you possibly can make it and um, to make sure that your cover letter is the opportunity that you use in order to explain why you are so uniquely suited to whatever position you're looking to apply for. I hope, and uh, offline, I was able to speak with Angela further, and I think we can put together quite a few exciting projects in the not-too-distant future, where whereby we might be able to help um, listeners and people who are on the NCA journey even more. So that's very exciting. Hope you enjoyed it, and until next time, we'll speak again. Bye.